Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I have Trent on the phone this morning. We're going to talk about soybeans. Trent, good to hear from you, buddy. Yep. Glad to be talking to you. So I think this is the first time we've had you on. It's the first of the year, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's the first time we've uh, we've talked current crop year anyway. Well, he needs to actually physically come over here because then he could see the new and improved podcast studio. Yeah, no more lounging on the couch, dude. That's right. It, it's going to upset Angus if he ever sets foot back in here. The couch is gone. <laughs> no more couch. But we do have these snazzy mesh swivel back chairs that Tom picked out, so they're pretty cool. You can you can still kick back pretty good. I think the last time I was in there, that's, that's what I sat in with a mesh back chair. You just don't have to have a boom pole to get people up off that couch because when you sat down, you were about six inches off the floor. Yeah, that was a fine piece of furniture that seemed a little deep. <laughs> no, it was, it was <laughs> That's the, trying it was to definitely deep. carefully choose my words to describe the couch. Angus and Bobby were the only two people that I think legitimately had strong feelings about the couch. Well, and then that little table, I felt like I was like a, a miniature <laughs> Tom because I had to lean forward so much with yeah. that little table. It was the equivalent of a TV tray. Yes. Trent, today is Thursday. Tomorrow is Good Friday. Easter's coming up. This will go out after Easter, but I really want to know, because this is always a topic of discussion at our house this time of year. Do you have strong feelings on the Easter candy peeps? Peeps are popular in our house. Okay. Tom, <laughs> ex- how about the Allen House? Excruciatingly popular in the Allen House. Okay. See, I'm, I'm Tracy cool. loves the things, but she'll pop the thing open because I think she likes them a little harder. It's a little stale. And, <laughs> you know, people people have really strong feelings and opinions about peeps. I, I know. Really, he, uh, there's something are, remarkably simple, but there's, know, there's a really whole, no middle ground. There's a whole list of candy items that I would put way ahead of peeps. Now, I'll eat them. But I don't, you know, eh. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to the store and buying them, but if they're there. They're kind of tasteless. It's like a marshmallow. Well, that's what it is. It's a sugar-coated marshmallow. Yeah, I mean, they're long. I can leave them alone. I personally don't. uh, I can live without them, but the the remaining members of my household are are all unanimously big fans. Amanda, she is a, a hard no on the peep. And I've, I've just never been able to convince her that it's really not that bad. Well, I'm a sucker for candy corns. I could eat candy corns year-round. I appreciate candy corn, too. Yeah, it's really not an Easter candy. Yeah, my favorite thing about the peeps is the peep surgery. I need to look that up again. That's hilarious. Okay, I'm scared. Oh, do, you, do you need to not describe that on the podcast? I, it's been a while since I've kind of skimmed through it. I mean, it's mostly hilarious. All right, peep surgery. We'll check that out, Tom. Peep surgery. Trent, it's April the 14th. we got anywhere from 2 to... North of two, four, five inches over the course of 24 hours. How's your blood pressure? It's like the hurry up and wait game. I think everybody probably feels that way. I've been ready to go for, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks now, but it just won't ever, won't ever slack up. Weekly rains, two inches, three inches, even a half inch makes it wet right now. Well, we got down to the point that we could plant, but then in my world, I can't plant if I can't spray, right? 25-mile-hour wind and spraying row to row just wasn't going to work for us. So we watched some stuff go on the other day before it rained again. I've had a couple of opportunities to plant, but unfortunately uh, 
getting all the seed in hand has been has been a little more challenging than usual this year. So just trying to get everything situated and all all lined up and separated and palleted up and ready to go where it's got to go. How are we on seed? Has everybody been able to get what they wanted? I have not heard any reports of, you know, failure to get seed, period. There may be some, some situations where you're not getting exactly what you want, but, uh, you know, a lot of seed, I guess, gets booked in the in the fall time, and I, I heard a, a few conversations about some of that that might have gotten booked earlier that, you know, had to get replaced with something different, but nothing, you know, nothing, nothing major that, that I've heard of anyway. What about the influence on the corn acres? I would assume we're off on our corn intentions from a month ago, just given the weather. Are our acres ticking up some related to that? I feel like they will, just given the, the calendar date. Uh, you know, looking at the at the progress of corn planting compared to the, the planting intentions, I, I don't know that we're even on track with the planting progress that we, we would be like on a five-year average, even at this point, just with the, the weekly rains that we seem to be getting every week. I mean, I know we get a day here and a day there and we can get some stuff in the ground, but it just feels like, like we're not able to just ever shake loose and, and just really hit a lot of acres, you know, for consecutive few-day stretch there. So I really feel like at the fact that today is April the 14th, uh, we got more rain forecasted for weekend. You know, we're, we're, we're any day now from seeing some corn acres shift into something else for sure. And I think we probably already have. just depends on your area. You know, there's areas where people are more hard line on their planting date. I think the other thing we probably got going in this situation is the fertilizer cost. And there's a lot of people probably already kind of on the fence about planting corn with nitrogen costs and, and things of that nature. So I think this probably is just a, another affirmation for them to shift out of that corn and shift into, into soybeans or something something different. Yeah, we talked to Brian Mills and Corey Bryant. Was that two weeks ago, Tom? Fertilizer prices are definitely cause for concern now with our other crops, with the exception of, of soybean and nitrogen fertilizer. Well, it's been a really interesting, you know, topic of conversation, I guess, for, for several months now. But the thing that I find interesting is that it just really depends on where you are and, and who you're talking to. You know, when you look at the when you when you look at the the money and the economics behind corn. You know, it would still show that it was favorable, even with with high nitrogen uh, costs. But you have some guys who are, are that hard on on rotations, and you know they're going to stick to that corn to stick stick to their you know their rotation intervals. But other folks that, that didn't want to, you know, couldn't be quite as flexible, and you know it was a hard no to, to corn way early in the in the intention window. So it's just been a, a really interesting scenario with the. With something besides weather uh, impacting, you know, some of these acres shifts. You got favorable commodity prices, but high input costs, and now we we add the the cool wet weather that that seems to get us eight years out of ten here to that'll shift some of that even further than what it was initially intended. Well, at least I don't have any forecast of really cold weather. I mean, the rain, yes, but at least we don't have the combination of rain and cold that can make a bad situation worse. Yeah, I hope not. I, I mean, I remember the first beans that I planted in, in 2021 wearing a heavy winter coat while we were <laughs> out planting. I, I hope that's gone. I'm ready to 
compared to see these warmer temperatures, at least what we've got now to stay, you know, the nighttime temperatures aren't too terrible right now. Well, what about overall planting intentions? I think that's probably the biggest topic right now. And, and like Jason alluded to, we did talk about some of that with Corey and, and Brian Mills a couple of weeks ago. How has your call, whatever you've received call-wise, how have those really tended to, to progress? Do you, have you seen a shift in, in any of that, people moving from corn to soybeans? Or for right now, you just think most people are locked in soybeans and, and that's really what they're pushing for right now to just get weather to break for them to jump on the tractor and go? First of all, our, our initial, our planning intention that, you know, the surveys and things that officially get released in, in March of every year, that that already projected us going up another 130,000 above what we were last year. So projections as of the end of March were 2.35 million. And that's, you know, that's above, uh, I'd say that 2.2 that two and a quarter million range is kind of normal for us if you look at where we've been the last decade or so. But so we were already projected to go up uh, several thousand acres this year, and you know, given given the situation with weather and corn and inputs, I think it's unreasonable to expect it to go up a little bit more. But the biggest causes for concern, I guess, not really concern, but the main questions that I keep getting are what to expect out of some of these fields that really did need to get rotated out of soybeans uh, into something else that, that are just going to go straight back to soybeans again for, for whatever year that is, you know. And, of course, we have quite a few acres of continuous soybeans grown in this state, but I think everybody would agree that, that rotation shows benefits, you know, across all the, the different crops that, that get put in those fields. But as far as concerns go, that's that's why the, the number one question that I've been asked in, in recent weeks. I think you point something out there, Trent, that's that's pretty important. And and we have done and I'm trying to recall some places where I've really run into situations in the past, but I've seen some soybeans go in in the last couple of weeks in some places that I did not expect to see them. And I'm pleased to say that they did adopt some rotational strategy in some of those situations. Yeah, I think whenever I have those conversations with people, Tom, feel please, you know, expand on the disease aspect of it. But I guess, you know, first off, I get it. I mean, I get I get that markets fluctuate. I get inputs fluctuate. And, you know, given the current status of, of input costs and market prices, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not going to blame somebody for, continuing to, to grow a, a continuous acre of soybean just uh, from a risk management standpoint, I get it. But the number one thing that comes to my mind as far as problems is, is disease issues and, and the lack of the rotation to break up those cycles. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the disease and the nematode component that just continues to increase in prevalence throughout the state is certainly my, my first thought. I'm a realist when it comes to the economics behind the situation. I get it. If the commodity prices are going to stay high, it's going to be really difficult for farmers to move beyond putting soybeans in some particular field situations. So that just, economically speaking, it makes more sense for them to do that. And there are some other directions that we can go variety choice-wise for some of those things. To your point, the first thing that pops into my mind are, are selecting those varieties that you know have a real fit across a lot of scenarios instead of choosing varieties that are real acre specific you know those more forgiving varieties that they can handle different soil textures and, and different growing conditions would be the ones that I, I would select to put in that, that situation 
What are the disease? Watch out, Tom. That's what I was sitting here thinking about, that I think in some situations, those varieties that tend to have really strong disease packages definitely fit better in some of those instances where we are growing continuous soybeans because from where I sit, frog eye always becomes an issue in situations where you're growing continuous soybean production practices. But at the end of the day, I think the good news is a lot of the varieties that are commercially available are pretty resistant to that. But I think the uptick in things that we've got going on in the lower canopy, we're certainly seeing more septoria brown spot in some situations and definitely in the last decade, a lot more target spot. And that's probably plays right into production practices and lack of rotation in some situations. But I also think it's been weather related and rainfall at specific points in time in certain growth stages that we have not experienced in the last however many years. Well, let's shift gears a little bit and, and kind of focus on the weed management side of things. I know it's been a, an interesting burn down season. You know, some acres obviously have, have been treated so far, but, but there may be others out there that have not had a burn down or will need a burn down rather before putting the planter in the field. Here we are at planting season. So, Jason, given things you've heard about supply and costs and things of that nature, where, where do we stand on suggestions for products and, and burn down going into an April, mid-April kind of application? The supply thing for me is a lot more murky than it was the other times that we talked about it around the first of the year, give or take several weeks. And I think it's probably because product has moved, been used as treatments, but it's also moved into the area from wherever it comes from, you know, different manufacturers into the retail outlets. So talk to one guy, they've got plenty of product A, talk to a different guy with a different retailer, they don't have enough of that same product. So that's why I say it's been murky for me. And I'm just collecting snippets of information here and there from the people that I talk to. I guess I've maintained my traditional recommendations. And then if I get a response that, well, hey, I can't get that product that you just recommended, then we'll shift fire and talk about different options at that point. Right now, man, in April, Paraquat is just the, uh, until something changes, whether it's supply or price or whatever, I mean, until it just is absolutely unusable, then Paraquat, to me, is the way to go, or Paraquat-based treatment. And then in the case of soybeans, I would definitely have something with some metribuzin in there just for that little synergism that you get from that combination. And that'll go a long way to getting off to a clean start. Now, the ryegrass, man, we've talked about ryegrass over and over again this spring. You're not going to kill ryegrass at this point with anything. Maybe two applications of a high rate of paraquat in a high application volume. The best you can hope for, I think, on this boot top, knee-high ryegrass that we see in places right now, those clumps, is to keep it from making seed, which will pay dividends in the future, maybe not dividends for this crop. Looking at our, our planning progress so far, we probably have 250,000 acres of beans planted, scattered around out there. So, you know, here we are finding our way into the beginning of the season and conversations revolving around 
overlapping residuals even more so than normal you know options for post-emergence weed control where, where do you stand on you know initial thoughts as we kind of get into that part of the, of the growing season on a few acres in the coming days and weeks for 2022 i've really promoted our pre-extend system so a pre-plant residual and then a residual at planting and my thought behind that was the price of roundup the supply of Roundup, we've had no indication that the dicamba products that are labeled on Extend Flex beans and Extend beans, that there's any concern there. But the Roundup definitely has been a problem and a legitimate problem and a concern too. So guys are concerned with the price. They're concerned if they're going to be able to get enough down the line. So they're, they're hedging on the side of being conservative early. And so they're skipping an application here and there or just leaving that roundup out. So the residual feeds right into that. So I've really promoted that again. And we've got a lot of good options. I mean, we've got all the options we've had over the past few years and some come and some go, but the big mainstay products are there. Several of them have multiple different versions from different retailers that are available. So that's always positive to have competition in the market. I know that one of the big topics that comes up this time of the year when we get into planting season deals with injury. How are we going to address that given the herbicide supply situations that you've talked about? Because most of those injury questions are related to pre-emergent herbicides. You know, injury at least in my mind, when I think about it, obviously there's got to be some level of acceptable injury, you know, injury that's not yield limiting, uh, injury that's not going to stunt the crop so bad that it causes future weed problems. So when you're looking at a normal, quote unquote, normal year, you know, nobody wants to see injury. We, we don't like injury. We, we want to avoid it at all, at all costs if we can. But when you're looking at, at situations like we're in now, with supply issues, you know, I think one of the things that Roundup has done, you know, is make us really comfortable with a pretty bean crop. But given given the supply issues and maybe shortages in some places, I, I think that especially this year, we've kind of got to get comfortable with, with some level of acceptable injury. Uh, some of these products may cause injury, may not. Jason, chime in if you want to, but it seems to me like, super unpredictable weather weather seems to drive a lot of how much that injury may or may not occur and you know, i think we're still on the early side to sort of be able to to see what may or may not be happening in, in this particular calendar year i agree with that 100 percent, trend i mean the weather drives it in worst case scenario tom is you got a treatment on the soil that doesn't get incorporated until right about the time those big fat cotyledons unfold or your unifoliate unfolds and then you get a big rain and a bunch of that herbicide treated soil splashes up on the undersides of those leaves and that's when we can see catastrophic stand loss. Well, the three of us end up looking at a lot of those things and our conversations usually bounce back and forth between is it injury or is it seedling disease or is it both and that's a difficult thing to dissect. Absolutely. The products that carry the most baggage with them, Metribuzin, long, 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 colorful history of causing injury on soybeans. And that's one reason we don't use Metribuzin like we used it 
30 years ago or 40 years ago. The rate of metribuzin that we use now is much lower than when we used it as a standalone product pre-Roundup Ready. Any of the flumioxazin products, so flumioxazin, the traditional trade name for that's Valor. There's other trade names in the market now. That one's got its own set of circumstances that are unique. And then another one would be Sulfentrazone, which is authority, all the authority products, several other ones as well. So those are the three big ones. We don't use a lot of Sharpen. We've had problems with Sharpen in the past. We don't use it as a pre as much as we have years back down the line. Usually you'll see if the environment lines up where you're going to get injury, you'll have a whole lot of metribuzin injury or you'll have a whole lot of valor injury. That tracks with the amount of acres sprayed, obviously. Sometimes we those products, depending on price and supply, in the case of 2022, acres are going to be higher. So if the weather's right, then law of averages says the percent of acres that are injured is going to be higher. At least in my opinion, you see a lot more of that based on specific soil class characteristics. So oh, if it's got a little bit more sand in the situation, then Valor ends up looking more injurious, at least in my opinion. And splash, and splash is That's a lot right. worse on, on coarser textured soil. So go back to pre-extend, even way before that, 10 years ago. That's one reason why we really promoted that pre-plant application, because an application on the soil surface that gets an incorporating rainfall prior to planting greatly, greatly reduces the injury potential from that treatment because you've eliminated the splash potential. Now you're just the possibility of, say, it turning off cold and you're getting some straight uptake of that herbicide causing injury on the soybean crop as it emerges. Well, now if we circle back around to that and we bring Trent in on this, I know for a fact we planted a ton of acres in a big part of the central delta on Tuesday, and I didn't see a single sprayer going, and we've talked about the wind and everything else. So how are we going to manage that you, now? You, you couldn't see the sprayers because of the dust blowing. <laughs> <laughs> there is some truth to that, but when I passed some of those crews, and I'm talking five planters and three trailers full of seed, there wasn't a single sprayer in front of them, and there wasn't one behind them either. So Late Tuesday afternoon, I don't even remember who I was talking to, but a guy described Highway 82 as whiteout conditions. There was a lot of places on 61 it was like that too. It was, it was crazy. You could tell where they were obviously doing some work because of the actual plumes of dust coming yeah. off the fields. Now, how does that factor into our herbicide issue at this point? Because clearly you probably have missed putting down a pre-emerge residual herbicide in those situations. What are we going to do? So, you know, in that situation, obviously we've got to get something put out there before that crop comes up. It kind of makes me want to go back to something that you, you just said a, a few minutes ago, you know, Tom, and, and we were talking about the, you know, with Jason, we were talking about the making the application prior to planting. And, and given the weather patterns that we have seen over the last few weeks, I think that's even a stronger advocate for making some of these applications and then chasing the sprayer with the planter. To Tom's point, um, being able to keep up with it. Obviously, we can we can plant a lot of ground really fast, but if we're not going to get those conditions to allow us to get the sprayers to keep up with things, and, and given some of these products that we probably will be applying to avoid some of the potential injury, 
I think that this year, more so than maybe the last four or five years since we've had the extend traits, you know, it may be a situation where we want to make more sprayers run and then chase those, follow them up with the planter instead. I think we'll definitely have some acres, Tom, that the crop gets out of the ground with no herbicide on it. And if it rains again Saturday or Sunday, and it's supposed to be warm, warmer than it is right yeah, now yeah, for sure. It's like 48 this morning when I got up. We're definitely going to have some beans up, no question about it. And so then you've got to adjust your post-emergence plan. So you're going to have to shift that up. So you're not going to have that big premium residual herbicide on the soil surface that's doing a lot of heavy lifting for you for the first two, three weeks after that crop emerges. So you're just going to have to shift it up, which is going to interfere with the next group of fields or farms that gets planted. And and it's just a trickle-down effect. When we didn't get them sprayed, then it's going to be just trickled down and influence the rest of the planting season, which is aggravating, but that's what's going to have to happen. And so we'll be spraying when we maybe didn't intend to. Maybe those fields Tom saw had already been sprayed. Maybe they were just planting into it. It's very possible. I wish I'd started counting tractors and planters when I got out of bed that morning just to give me an idea how many I drove by because it was pretty amazing. Trent. Thank you, as always. It, first of all, it's good to talk to you. I haven't talked to you in a little while. We probably tend to text more than what, what we normally talk on the phone, but we, we appreciate the information, the content. Thank you. Thanks, guys. And to our regular listeners, you know, we're here for those tough questions because we know they're going to come up in the next few weeks. I mean, it's a given. Track us down. Call us for those one-on-one consultations. That's what the Extension Service is for, and we're more than happy and willing to do that pretty much around the clock. So, We appreciate the avid listeners and the continued comments. Thanks a bunch. Trent, hope you and your family have a really happy Easter, man. Yep, same to y'all. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension.